to us practical implications of trusting God in trials. And the way that we are to do that is very simple for James. We are to hear God's word. We are to receive the word implanted. And then we are to do the word because the temptation is to be quick-tempered and to be angry at God for the circumstances in our lives. Or to, to speak out of turn. To speak out of turn against other people, yes, but to speak out of turn against God. Or to turn away from God's word and justify the fact that we've turned away from God's word, not doing God's word because of the circumstances in our lives. So as we'll have been doing, we're going to continue to do do today, we're going to read all of James chapter 1 to try to link the sections together. James writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he begins to speak to us with the same authority as if Jesus Christ himself were here speaking to us today. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let each ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea and is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, underline that, deceiving yourselves, right there. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, underline that, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction 
and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's pray. Father, I need your help. And I'd ask right now that you would guard my mouth. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, we need your help. We need to receive your word. We pray, Father, that the word that we are hearing now would resonate with the implanted word. And, Father, that you would cause us to be doers of your word. That we would be people who leave here changed by the word. And that we would live differently because of the word. Father, we need your help because we know that we have a propensity to be deceived. The enemy will seek to snatch what we hear. And we will deceive ourselves into thinking that because we have heard, that we have understood and applied. Father, we know, as James teaches us, this is dangerous. Help us now. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, You Are What You Love, philosopher and professor James K.A. Smith recounts the story of two stonecutters. Each is asked what they are doing, and one responds, I am cutting this stone in a perfectly square shape. The other responds, I am building a cathedral. I can imagine that the first stonecutter pausing at the second's reply and then saying something to himself like, right, I forgot. We're not just cutting stones, we are building a cathedral. When I hear the story, it reminds me that we are all building with our lives each and every day, day by day, stone by stone, with attention to details that only God will see. There are a lot of tedious aspects in our lives, just like there are a lot of tedious aspects to stone cutting and masonry, and yet all of them are crucial in the grand project of the cathedral that God is building. So too with Christian living. Little things matter. Micro rituals in our lives have macro implications in our lives. So James tells us we are never to underestimate the formative power of obedience, of being doers of the word and not simply hearers of the word. James tells us at the outset that we must listen to and obey God's word. We must both pay attention and persevere in God's word. And in so doing, he tells us how Christians are to respond to the trials that afflict them. They are to hear and persevere in obedience in the midst of trial. They are to hear and receive and not be derailed because of difficult circumstance. They are to hear and receive and obey even though trials afflict them. Because by hearing and heeding the word which is able to save their souls, they show themselves to be God's people. Those who truly hear persevere in obedience. They do what Jesus commands and what James teaches. They hear the message and then they display the message. They obey what has been proclaimed and they apply what they have heard. They do good works and in so doing show what it means to truly listen to verse 18, the word of truth, because genuine religion comes to expression in doing not mere listening. Three points will frame our time together this morning. Mere listening, mere considering, 
mere pretending. Notice first, mere listening. Look with me again in verse 22, please. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. What does it mean for James to, verse 21, receive the implanted word? What is he communicating to us when he tells us, as he did last week, receive the implanted word? He tells us, verse 22. If you want to know if you've received the implanted word, verse 22, be doers of the word. James says the word of God is something not merely to be, verse 19, heard, but also, verse 22, obeyed. Be doers of the word. Obedience to the word of God is the true test of spirituality. Obedience to the word of God is the true test as to whether or not we have actually obeyed the word of God, received the word of God, heard the word of God. Friends, James knows that it is far too easy for us in the 21st century, as it was for them in the 1st century, to believe that attentive listening, just like frequent Bible reading, is the same thing as obedience. But it is not. We think things like, I have had wonderful and uninterrupted devotional times as of late. I have spent hours reading the Bible, and I actually remember what I have read. James would say, well done. But what about obeying the word of God? Let me ask you, have you actually changed your mind recently because of something that you've read in the word of God? Have you redirected or are you redirecting your imagination, your eyes, your thoughts, your desires, according to what is revealed in the word of God? Or do you still pine after inordinate things? Are any of the relationships in your life different this morning because of what you have read in the Word of God this past week? As Alec Matera said, there can be an enjoyment of a relationship with God's truth in God's Word in the early morning, but it is the work of a lifetime. James says that the believer in whom the Word of God is implanted is called to, verse 19, hear... And verse 22, obey the word that resonates with the implanted word. We are to submit ourselves to the word. We are to hear it, hear it read, hear it preached, read it in our own lives. But that means nothing if we do not obey the word. We break up each of the sections, but for James, all of the sections flow together. Of his own will, he has brought us forth by the word of truth, verse 18. Therefore... We need to receive with meekness the implanted word, verse 21. Therefore, we are to be doers of the word, verse 22. Because to respond to the word of God with mere listening and no visible response is delusional thinking for James, verse 22. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Friends, there is great danger in what James is telling us. Mere hearers are self-deceivers. The mere listener, James tells us, is self-deceived into thinking that he is spiritual simply because religious instruction has been taken in. Taken in through the eyes, taken in through the ears. One of the most challenging things for me preaching this book and how it's been wrecking me is that it is possible for me as your pastor to continue to read God's word, and know more about God's word, 
and read commentaries about God's word and study God's word and never obey God's word. The book of James is devastating me as a preacher. James says it is possible for us to hear God's word, to read God's word, and know nothing of the power of God's word. James says you must put the word of God into practice, not simply listen to it. It is not lost to me that in a room this size, with people who have been believers for as long as some of you have been believers, that many of you think that you are mature because you have heard a lot about God's word, or that you know a lot about God's word, therefore you are a strong Christian. James says, do not be self-deceived. Otherwise, you're not only self-deceived, but James says something devastating here. Verse 22, you are deceiving yourself. We live in a world full of people who do not believe that they can be self-deceived. We live in a world full of people who think that they know right things. I know what is true, and I know what is false. I know who's a liar, and I know who's not a liar. I know myself, and I know myself better than anyone else knows myself. But friends, that is not true. James says it's not true. James says that you don't know yourself at all. You are completely capable of hearing the word, listening to the word, being on the role of a church membership and saying that you apply the word and never being changed by the word. And if you don't believe James, just ask your family and friends, are you self-deceived? Self-deception is a reality that everybody in the room must be aware of, especially mere listeners who think that hearing God's word secures God's salvation because genuine religion comes to expression in doing, not in mere listening. We say things in the South like the proof is in the pudding, but that is exactly what James is saying here as well. The proof is in the pudding. Is the life changed? We will see it bear fruit over time. Is the person any different? Friend, are you any different? One of the things that we have said here before that we will say again, if God's word cannot command you to change, then either God is not God or he is not your God. If God cannot make you do things that you do not want to do because of what he reveals in his word, then either God is not God or he is not your God because genuine religion comes to expression in doing, not in mere listening. And what types of things does James have in mind when he's telling us to do things? Don't be angry. Start listening. Care for the poor. Check your mouth. Not only in what you say, but in what you type and in what you think. Care for those who are around you. Look at the world around you and stop being presumptuous and saying, I'm going to do this or that. But instead, rely on the Lord. Friends, obedience to God's word is the true test of our spirituality. Friends, if you're a member of our local church, I want to say as one of your pastors, and I know Pastor Nick and Pastor Renee would say the same thing, we are so thankful. But do the people around you in your lives, your family, your friends, your neighbors, the people who are surrounding you on a day-to-day basis, do they see the true test of your spirituality in obedience to God's word and how you react as an employee? and how you care for your family, and how you parent your kids, and how you respond to discontentment. 
how you respond to hardship and trial in your life. What you do when things are hard or when you don't like them. James says that mere hearers are self-deceivers. And self-deceit will be terrible in the end. Because it is possible to live the entirety of this life self-deceived. And get there on the last day and not know that we were deceived. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 7. We've been reminding ourselves that Jesus was teaching the same type of thing because James has been relying on this teaching. We see it come to expression in his writing. And Jesus says some devastating words for us. And what's, what Jesus does here is exactly what James is doing. It's possible for us to think the right things and do the wrong things. Notice what he says, chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. We received that part of the teaching. Keep your eyes there. And we say, that makes sense. Bad trees don't bear good fruit. Good trees don't bear bad fruit. We think we understand. Jesus says, you don't understand. He keeps teaching. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Friend, are you here, one of the people who say, because I say, Lord Jesus, I'm a Christian? Jesus says there will be people like that on the last day who say things like that. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Members of our church, eyes up. Every one of us would present that as saying, I'm doing pretty good in my Christian relationship." I'm prophesying, I'm casting out demons, I'm doing mighty works. I'm getting an A in Jesus this week. Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. That it is possible to do things like this and be mere hearers who actually have not applied the word. So Jesus tells us to build on his life. James similarly says genuine religion comes to expression not in mere listening but in doing. Mere listening, notice second for James, mere considering. Look at this very famous image that he gives to us. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Now, just think of what we just read in Jesus' teaching before I continue reading. Jesus gives those startling statements, and then he tells us a parable. There's two men. One of them hears my words, builds on the sand. Another hears my words, builds on the rock. James gives the same type of teaching. He says, okay, let me tell you about a man. There's a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He looks at himself... And he goes away. Now notice he does two things. He looks 
And then if you're the person who likes to draw connections to places, he looks and then he goes away. Then he looks and he at once forgets what he was like. But, contrast, the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, that same person looks, but notice what they do. They do two things. He looks and he perseveres. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He looks and he acts, and he will be blessed in his doing. As a skilled preacher, James paints for us a verbal picture, a picture from everyday life that we can all understand. We know what a mirror is like. We know what it's like to see a reflection. And he says, a man who hears the word of God but does not obey the word of God is like a person who looks into the mirror, and verse 24, he steps away and he immediately forgets what he saw. And in so doing, he teaches us about the self-deception of verse 22 with this idea of the man in the mirror. But careful readers notice and observe that his point is not between a hasty glance, people with the mirror, they just look at themselves and they walk away, and then a sustained glance, people with the word of God. So what we need to do is we need to stare down at the word of God, and you should look down, read it. That's why we ask you to keep your Bible open the whole time so that you can see if what's being said is in there. Rather, both of them are, a matter of fact, equally intent on what they're seeing. But they're self-deceived. One of them is self-deceived and one of them is blessed. Verse 23, he looks intently. He looks closely. He doesn't just glance and walk away. He looks intently at what he sees. But he is self-deceived. He thinks he sees himself rightly. Just like we think that we see ourselves rightly. I know me. I understand me. Nobody knows me better than me. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm like. I know what I struggle with. I know what kind of sins are really plaguing me. James says, no, you don't. Somebody can look in the mirror and be deceived. But verse 25, the other person they look into and they see something. Both are equally uh, serious in their consideration of what is before them, but it is what happens next that makes all of the difference. Look again in verse 24. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. He hears it. He does not apply it. He does not act. He shows that he is forgotten because he has not taken action. But the one who looks into, and notice how the law is described here, the perfect law the law of liberty, and perseveres in what he's looking at. Being no hearer who forgets. How do you know he's not a hearer who forgets? Because he is a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. As for the people considering what they see in the mirror, off they go. They immediately leave and they forget. Momentary impressions are made by the word of God. And the mirror, what they see in that mirror is short-lived and it bears no fruit. Sometimes it looks like reading, checking off that we've read, journaling in our journal, taking notes, very copious notes during the sermon, but not being changed by anything that we interacted with. But the person considering what they see in the perfect law, the law of liberty, they persevere and they persist. They want to understand because they want to act differently, live differently, do differently, speak differently, have relationships that are different. James teaches us that there is a key moment that comes after every time we interact with the Word of God, whether we read it or hear it read, right after. 
You see, everybody is always responding. We don't give what some of you perhaps grew up with, a formal invitation where we ask people to come down front and speak with one of the pastors. And we might think and deceive ourselves into assuming that because our church doesn't do that, and there are reasons why we don't do that. I don't think that's helpful. But we might think that because we don't do that, that we're not asking people to respond. The reality is, brothers and sisters, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, each and every week, you are all responding. Every single person in the room, preacher included, responds to the word of God absolutely every single week. We are all responding if we are believers with repentance and faith and deeper repentance or in deeper faith or with hardening and unbelief and deeper hardening and more unbelief. We hear things and we say, you know what, I'll get to that later. And we just assume that there's always going to be a later. And we have presumed upon the word of God. And James says, do not say to yourself, I'm going to do this or that. And then you don't know what tomorrow brings. And if you're not a Christian here, you are responding this very moment. You might not respond today with repentance and faith. But by doing so, you have responded. By refusing to repent and refusing to place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The question before us each and every week is, how will we respond How will we respond to what has been taught in the word and to the gospel message? A message that resonates throughout the entirety of God's word and calls us to action. It calls us to action to repent. And it calls us to action to continue to repent by living differently. It calls us to action because Jesus acted on our behalf. Friends, Jesus came into this world to be perfect when we were not perfect. And to die when we should die. He obeyed when we disobeyed. Just the basic gospel message is that God looked down and when he evaluated everything that he saw in everybody's life, what he saw was a spiritual and moral bankruptcy. There was no good person. There was nobody that was right in his eyes. There was nobody that was going to make it to heaven. There was nobody that was going to be able to earn favor with God. So God acted decisively on behalf of people who were unable to do something for themselves. He sent his son in the flesh and Jesus died on the cross for us. And the Bible tells us a very simple but profound truth. If we look at that act and respond with repentance by turning away from sin and belief and faith that that was sufficient for us, we will be saved. It is a simple but a profound message. It does require you to act. Repent. Don't be that way. Turn away from it. Change. How do you change? By placing faith in the Christ. Friends, you see, for the believer, the message doesn't change. The moral life that James calls us to is not one, as we heard from our brother Eric a few moments ago, trying to pull ourselves up by our own moral bootstraps, but it is in response to the cross And for the unbeliever, it is the same. We look at the bankruptcy of our life and we see that I must respond in faith, believing that that work was enough for me and that that death was my death and that his life is my life. And now I will believe and ask him to empower change so that I am forever different. It is a change that is slowly taking place and it is a change that you will never outgrow outgrow in this life. James tells us that mere listening is self-deception and mere consideration is insufficient, that we must be people who respond 
in action. Friends, are you responding in action? Are there things that the Word of God is challenging you to do but you refuse to do? Like forgive people who have sinned against you. Or reconcile with people who are hard to reconcile with. Or to give freely of what God has entrusted to you monetarily but you think that you so desperately need and refuse to share for the sake of others. Or to serve. Perhaps a member here serving in the context of the church. Perhaps your neighbors who are obstinate and hard to deal with, but serving them that they might know the words of eternal life. Friends, is the word of God calling you to do things that you refuse to do and you think, I'll get to it later? James says, you, I, we are self-deceived. Mere listening, mere considering, mere pretending. Look with me again in verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James knows it is because we often reduce faith to intellectual assent, to propositional doctrine, that we access so little of its power to change. So he actually says that we have a choice. We're either going to deceive ourselves or bless ourselves. Look again in verse 22. And notice the contrast between verse 22 and verse 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. But the blessing James speak of, speaks of will only occur when we see that there's a connection between the law and liberty. As law, the word of God is designed for our obedience, though there is way more to it than that. But we do have to understand it against its Old Testament background so that we understand that law also means teaching. And that happens all of the time in home and between children and parents and family members, at church between pastors and congregants, in relationship with one another as we are discipling and living this life together as fellow members of the same local church and same local community and so on. And it is all done in imitation of the loving way in which the Lord has instructed all of us as his sons and as his daughters. Of course, his instruction contains rules for our living God does intend for us to be commanded to, be, uh, to obey his teaching. But even his sharpest and most demanding laws are not a stern imposition by an external authority, but they are a fatherly directive arising from love. He loves us more than we want to be loved. That is why we spend so much try, time trying to persuade you and not just telling you here are all of the one right things to do in life that you might be persuaded by God's word to respond to him in love and change your life. And James describes the perfect law that is taught to us, verse 25, as the law of liberty. But once again, there's this Old Testament background for James. The law of God is perfect. It is the law of liberty because it actually expresses God's nature. It reveals to us who God is, that he is holy. 
And in it, he has taken what is true about himself, and he has expressed it to us in his word. But we shall only begin to understand the link for James between the law and liberty if we go back to the very moment that the law was given at Mount Sinai. If you have your Bible, I want you to flip with me to Exodus chapter 20. If you don't know where that is, it's in the Old Testament. You get in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus. It's the second book of the Bible. It's the 20th chapter. The Lord is speaking to people that he has brought out of Egypt. They have been redeemed. And the means of their redemption was the blood of the Lamb. Just like we see in the New Testament where Jesus does something for us, God does something for them. He sacrificed for them. Verse 20, or verse 1 of Exodus chapter 20 says this, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he gives them the Ten Commandments. The Lord gives his law not as a means of salvation, but as a lifestyle for those who have already been saved. God gives his law not as a means for salvation, but as a lifestyle for those who have already been saved. And in this way, he wants his redeemed ones to live. He wants them to live in light of their salvation. Brothers and sisters who are fellow believers, he wants us to live in light of our salvation. That is exactly what James is teaching us. We are to live in light of our salvation. We profess change, but we don't live change. Therefore, we communicate that we are not changed. But if we profess change, we must live change. And friends, if you're not a believer, you can be changed today. Just like these believers were changed in Exodus, and just like these believers were changed in the book of James, in response to what the Redeemer has done for those whom he has redeemed. He brought them out of the land of slavery. Jesus has brought us out of the bondage to sin. He brought them out of darkness so that they might have life. Jesus has saved us out of darkness so that we might live in the newness of life. We have been put to death with him in baptism, raised to walk in the newness of life. They were put to death as they walked through the Red Sea, reminding themselves that what they deserved was judgment. But they arose on the other side of that dry ground so that they might have life and life in the Redeemer. For Exodus and James, life comes the same way. And you can respond to that the same way both these Old Testament saints and these New Testament believers did by simply believing. Believe today. Trust today. Hope today. And you will be saved. Non-Christian friend who is here today, do not leave this place without repentance and faith. Trust in the Savior Jesus. He is merciful He is merciful and he does not treat us as our sins deserve. He will hold us fast as we have sung. He is a merciful redeemer who proclaims redemption to us and he redeems us by what he has done on the cross. And if you have questions about that, we would love to talk to you. We might not invite you to come down front, but we certainly invite you to find one of us after the service today. I'll be standing at that tunnel. There will be members all through here. Some of them will be flipping tables. Join us for a meal. Sit down with one of the believers here and ask them, how do I become a Christian? And I can assure you that there will be no greater delight than for one of them to respond by opening the Bible again and pointing to you in the scripture what God says about how you can be saved. We would love to minister to you. But believer... James also tells us, as he speaks about the, to those who have been brought out of bondage, not simply to those who are enjoying liberty for the first time, but those who have now been given this perfect law in order to safeguard them for the freedom that God has already secured to them. And he says, there is true freedom in obedience. 
Same opportunity exists. There is an ability to give expression to who we truly are. They were responding to God's revelation in the book of Exodus with obedience to the Ten Commandments. And we are responding to God's revelation in the New Testament in obedience to his righteous commands. We are to give expression to who we truly are. We are truly free in Christ to live the life that is appropriate for those who have been created in God's image. We are the first fruits of his creatures, of what James says. We are able to obey the perfect law, the law of liberty that safeguards us and sets us free to be truly human. And it does so much more for us. It is not only changing us, but it brings blessing to us, James says, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, they don't see in there just rules and commandments that oppress them and hold them down. They see liberty and then they persevere. Be no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Notice what James says. He will be blessed in his doing. Obedience is a key factor in our enjoyment to the Christian life. And the law characterized by freedom, the law described as liberty, calls Christians to look into it as they, verse 25, persevere in obedience. James is not exhorting these Christians or us to simply study the law more thoroughly. James is exhorting us toward what C.S. Lewis called good pretending or mere pretending because it's one of the ways that we use our imagination to further our holiness. In mere Christianity, he says it like this. Very often, the only way to get equality in reality is to start behaving as if you had it already. Now, before I read the rest of the quote, Lewis is not saying, fake it till you make it. That's what it sounds like to many people. But Lewis has something completely different in mind. You might be faking it. We're here to tell you that you will not make it. The word of God lays you bare. We will all be exposed on that day for who we truly are. Lewis has something else in mind. Very often, the only way to get quality is the result of start behaving as if you had it already. That is why children's games are so important. They are always pretending to be grown-ups, playing soldiers, playing shop, but all the time, they are hardening their muscles and sharpening their wits so that the pretense of being grown-ups helps them to grow up in earnest. Bad pretending is simply hypocrisy for Lewis. It's when we pretend to be something that we're not. We masquerade before others and the world as if we're a believer because we simply hear but are unchanged. Good pretending or mere pretending for Lewis is when we actually practice being who we already are in Christ legally because of what he has done for us on the cross, and positionally, as those who have received the indwelling word, the implanted word, and who will one day be in Christ morally perfect when he sanctifies us completely on the last day. Good pretending is not hypocrisy. It is a spirit-led attempt at consistency. Repenting when we don't feel like repenting. Apologizing when we don't feel like apologizing. Worshiping God when we don't feel like worshiping God. Giving when we don't feel that we have anything else to give. Obeying when we don't want to obey. 
trusting when we feel like we do nothing but disbelieve. Believing that he is good when we feel that he is evil. And in all of those moments, responding rightly by saying, God, make me into who I already am. Help my unbelief. Bad pretending is a substitute for reality for Lewis. Good pretending is when the pretense actually leads us towards the reality. It's what children do when they pretend to be grown-ups so that when they are grown-up, they live like grown-ups. And it's what Christians do in our pilgrim condition when we do what we're told in the Word of God. Christians now live in a day of new covenant fulfillment. We live in a day when we must study and love and believe and obey the Scriptures, and we must recognize that they have been fulfilled in Christ. Jesus has told us, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them. I've come to fulfill them. But never does Jesus say, Therefore, you do not have to obey the Word of God. Similarly, James says believers are called to look into and persevere in that sanctifying relationship with the Word of God. A heart implanted with the Word of God will grow in its love for hearing and applying the Word of God. Friend, do you love to hear the Word of God? One of the ways that you can show that you love to hear the Word of God is actually preparing yourself for Sundays. That's why we give you the sermon card so that you can read the text in preparation for that time. One of the ways that you can perhaps prepare yourself to love the Word of God more is to thank those who preach the Word of God. I don't care if you ever come and thank me after the pulp, after the sermon, but I do care if you come and thank the people who have labored who are not me. Go to them and thank them for their study of the Word of God and thank them for helping you understand the Word of God more. One of the ways that you can prepare yourself to love the Word of God more is by revisiting what you've heard in the Word of God and seeing if you're actually applying what you've heard in previous weeks to your life. One of the ways that you can prepare yourself to apply the Word of God and be changed by the Word of God is to read the Word of God. Believers, I know in here that some of you are struggling. You think, I don't have any time. Listen to it. I don't have a commute. Write it down on a flashcard and pull it out while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing at work. There must be time for this word to resonate so that you would live differently. James says believers are called to look into and persevere in that relationship. And believers or to give all of their mental, emotional, volitional, spiritual focus to that word to gain maturity. And then James says the astonishing thing that if we do that, and when we do that, verse 25, being a doer who acts, not a hearer who forgets, that we will be blessed in our doing. As this transformed Christian goes about their life, they will be blessed and empowered, strengthened, because, verse 25, mere pretending Mere listening is just pretending, but mere pretending listens intently and obeys purposefully and enjoys freedom. Friends, as we think about James's challenge to us today, just a few quick applications. Mere hearing doesn't act. Mere hearing forgets. Mere hearing, mere listening is no way to hear the word of God. James calls us to do it. So just questions for you today. Are you applying what you have read? Are you applying what you have heard? Are you confessing your sins to God and to fellow members of this church and other believers, asking them to help you to put on new life patterns as you put off old life patterns? 
Are you displaying God's word in your life? Second, the passage calls us to reconsider again the importance of things like regenerate church membership and believer's baptism. We must, as fellow members of the church, require one another to live differently because of what we have heard. And we must be very careful to never put people into these waters unless we hear a life change that's professing change, we hear it changed, and see it demonstrated in that life. And if we see something different, we must take it upon ourselves to be faithful to the word, to discipline those who are not living in accordance to what they have heard in the word of God. And then finally, we need to ask ourselves, are we self-deceived? Friends, it is very possible for you to be deceived today and not know it. To be deceived and not care. To be deceived in thinking that because there are good things and not bad things, there's good providence and not bad providence. Because there's not immediate suffering and there are positive developments, that all is fine. But James says, be warned. It is very possible to be self-deceived. A key moment of every sermon is right after. What will you do today? James emphasizes that moral change will come about by those who are committed to the Word of God. He does not demand perfection, but he does require a new direction a new orientation, a remarkable change in those who have heard the word of God rightly. Those who are the Lord's will listen and receive and display because they are the first fruits of his creation. Not because their works are perfect, but because the ultimate basis of their relation to God is because of the work that Jesus Christ has done and that work begins to have implications in their life. Saints who hear and heed who listen and obey, are the blessed ones. Friend, will you be blessed today? You can be. Obey. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us. We are all confronted with the reality that right now we are about to respond There's a practical way we will respond by singing and observing the baptism and singing some more as we prepare to receive the benediction. But there is another way for us to respond today in repentance for our sins, whether as a believer or an unbeliever, a turning away from our sins decisively and forever, getting help, to put them to death or turning away afresh and clinging once again to the cross and believing once again the gospel and trusting once again in the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Father, I pray for these, my friends, and myself that you would protect us today from self-deception. Father, that you would help us today to have courage to respond that you would cause us today to put our faith into action because genuine faith is put into expression in doing, not mere listening. May we hear and may we heed.
May we listen and may we act and may we do it all for the glory of God in Christ in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us?